Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. The following program is a production of Chilling Entertainment and the creative team at Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and a proud member of the Simply Scary Podcast Network. Visit simplyscarypodcast.com to learn more about this and our other weekly storytelling programs and become a patron today to show your support and get instant access to our extensive archive of downloadable ad-free tales of terror. Thank you for listening and enjoy the show. Disclaimer. Horror Hill is a horror anthology podcast, bringing you scary stories from all corners of the internet and beyond. As such, certain stories include content that some listeners might find offensive. In particular, tonight's second story includes a scene of violence involving a pregnant woman and her unborn child. Listener discretion is advised. Good evening, listeners, and welcome back to Horror Hill. I'm your host, Eric Peabody, and we've got a double feature for you tonight, both of them looking at the dynamics of romantic relationships from two very different angles. We'll be starting with a quick little chiller called A Familiar Voice by N.M. Brown. Austin and Liam are a newly retired couple who have decided to spice up their lives with a hiking trip in snowy Sri Lanka. When Liam mysteriously goes missing, his husband pulls together a search team to find him. 
Unfortunately, the oppressive elements are not the only danger they face. Following that, we'll be diving into The Downward Spiral by Richard C. Morgan. In this story, our narrator, Alec, is in the crosshairs of his vindictive soon-to-be ex-wife, Caroline. As Caroline systematically destroys Alec's life, he's forced to find new work wherever he can. Unfortunately for him, the only place that's hiring is the Paranormal Pork Broadcasting and Wiener Lounge. Greasy hot dogs and supernatural occurrences are the daily specials, and Alec finds himself struggling to hold on to his sanity while he fights to get his life back. You're listening to the standard edition of this program. If you'd like to show your support and enjoy ad-free versions of this and hundreds of tales from our audio archives dating back to 2012, visit ChillingTalesForDarkNights.com and click Patrons in the upper menu to sign up today and get instant access. Did I mention they're ad-free? Thank you for your support. And now, from author N. M. Brown, I present A Familiar Voice. Uncharted Expeditions, the newest thrill-seeking adventure to come to Sri Lanka. My husband Liam had been mesmerized ever since he saw the headline. The admission price alone was over $2,000. If I had asked for something that expensive, you'd better believe I'd never hear the end of it. Not Liam, though. Once he got it in his mind that he wanted something, he didn't stop until he had it. He had been languishing about the house for the better part of six months after retirement, on the brink of moping, if I'm honest. We had gone through our own forms of midlife crises in the decades prior, coming out mostly unscathed. I could tell that, to Liam, this was something far more. My husband had always seen his life like the pages of a well-read novel, each section and milestone divided by chapters until, ultimately, the book was finished. In his mind, the retirement chapter was towards the end of his book. He couldn't see very many chapters, or pages even, after that. I supported him as he had always supported me in my life's endeavors. His friends and colleagues were all either taking up with younger lovers or beginning hobbies they'd never had the time to get into. He hated the thought of just sitting at home reading the paper each day, patiently waiting for death to grab his hand and lead him back to the void he belonged to before birth. That's exactly what led to me shivering my ass off in this frozen wasteland, the brittle pieces of my broken heart shaking violently in my chest as I searched for my missing husband. I clutched the halved pendant that dangled around my neck, desperately yearning to feel the other half, which would have been with Liam. However, I felt nothing. The rescue team accompanying me was used to this climate, but my delicate Florida senses weren't anywhere near used to the cold. 
It killed me to think of Liam lost out here during dark, cold nights. The expedition itself took place over 18 days. Liam had been gone for 25. People say that they can feel if a missing loved one is still alive, feel it deep in their gut as sure as anything. However, I wasn't so sure. The love we had and the hope that had carried me through so many situations screamed that he was still alive, that he had found a safe shelter and was waiting for rescue. However, the logical side of things proved that the chances of anyone surviving out here for as long as he would have had to at this point would be slim to none. At this point, it was anybody's guess, but I couldn't live with myself if I didn't at least try. I was prepared to find his body. I was prepared to find him bloodied and warm, nestled inside of the dead innards of a nearby animal. Hell, I was even prepared to find out that the whole thing was a ruse and he'd run off with some woman somewhere. The only thing I wasn't prepared for, refused to be prepared for, was a life spent not knowing. The what-if game was one that my mind knew well, one that I lost every time, sending me spiraling down the quickest route to insanity. One of the main perks of the expedition that Liam had been interested in was the plan-your-own-route feature. For us, that meant the chances of finding him were all the more difficult. He could have trekked down any of the paths available, not to mention the off-trail routes people took their chances on. There weren't many of us available in the first place, and it would be dangerous to split up. There were five trails and seven of us. My feet guided me towards the path on the middle left. Two men followed close behind me, their version of what I guess was a forest ranger, one of the co-owners of the Uncharted Company, and a third man who was a complete mystery to me. The other four set off down the trail that sat to the farthest right. Freshly fallen snow had smothered any footprints that could have led us in his direction. The air around us hung eerily silent, save for the sparse sound of our boots crunching through snow and dead leaves. My feet became heavier the more that we walked, and at times I yearned to just sit down and cry, turn around, and give up. I imagined Liam feeling the same way, and my heart fell so low I thought I wouldn't be able to catch it before it hit ground. My mind swam with hundreds of possibilities, each leading to a different death. In the end, it didn't matter how. I'd wear widower's black the same if he got eaten by a bear as I would if he froze to death. It was about two hours after we'd set out that the unnamed man accompanying us pointed to a nearby tree. A blood-stained scrap of cloth hung limply over its branches, giving us an ill-fated sign in the form of our first clue. The branch lay at least four feet higher than the top of our heads, meaning whoever's shirt had gotten ripped off was being carried by something very tall. A series of clicks echoed through the trees as the ranger beside me checked his firearm to ensure it was loaded and ready to shoot. Branches crunched ahead of us and to the left, though none of us had moved. 
I instinctively called my husband's name out before the unnamed man clasped a frosty, dirty hand over my lips. Be quiet. Whatever did this could still be near, he warned gravely. There was a hurried rustling in response, followed by a weakened voice. Austin? Sweetheart, is that you? Normally, my heart would have leapt at the sound of this voice, but something about it sounded hollow and off. Nevertheless, the voice belonged to Liam, and I was emotion-bound to follow. Ossie, it's so cold. Please help me. I can't... I can't feel my legs anymore, honey. I turned to run toward him, but the ranger held me back. Adriel, he asked, looking at the man who had silenced me moments before. What do we do here? The man gave no answer, only retrieved a pistol from his waistband, aiming it at the woods where Liam's voice had called from. My heart rose to my throat and froze there. Wait, stop! I commanded. Put that away! My husband needs medical assistance! You need to be radioing for an ambulance! I dove for his weapon and he shrugged me away, firing off one quick shot before I was able to steady myself back on my feet. I ran from them and raced towards my husband, not fully sure of what I would do once I reached him. Ultimately, I didn't care. I needed him, like a flame needs oxygen. A horrid sound stopped me in my tracks. I figured there were at least a million different sounds in the natural world, and at least a thousand in nature itself. I was pretty sure at that moment that this sound didn't belong to any of those categories, or even to this world. It chilled every cell in my body, and though I rammed my hands over my ears, I was defenseless to the pain and impact of it. It sounded like the highest note of a violin was being tortured next to a boiling tea kettle. The reverberations of it hurt my head so much that a veil of white clouded my entire vision. The man named Adriel had caught up to me by then. His eyes were weary but wild as he spoke. Sir, that's not your husband. They can sound like whoever we want them to. Anything to lure us in. He trailed off. A gnarled set of antlers poked up through the top of the tree branches in the near distance. What the fuck is that? I stammered in fear. Before he had a chance to answer, the creature in question burst through the thicket of trees, ignoring the branches as they slapped its face and snapped off in its massive antlers. Its arms were massively long, almost dragging on the ground as it charged. At first I thought it had no eyes, but soon learned that they were there, just black as midnight. Chunks of brown, rotted fur and flesh clung to the exposed bones of its ribcage and face. I shuddered as I thought of this creature being the last thing my beloved saw as he met his gruesome end. The two men accompanying us appeared from the darkness behind us, raising their weapons in courageous fear. Adriel counted down silently with his fingers, and a round of gunfire exploded through the night air as his fingers reached the count of five. 
The creature reared up, screaming violently. The ground shook as it bashed its arms into the ground at its sides, shredding whole trees and plants in its pained rage. It's not working! I cried over the beast's enraged screams. The ranger nodded sagely before shouting in response, This is just a distraction for the Wendigo! Adriel dropped the pack he was carrying before pulling out a massive ball of gauze. Take this! He screamed as he grabbed one end, throwing the other to the men beside me. They stretched the layers between two trees as the beast's footsteps grew closer. Adriel pointed at me suddenly. Stay right there! Do not move! I backed away as I realized what their intentions were. They were using me as bait. Stop! The ranger warned. We won't let it get you! The Wendigo was almost at the barrier now. Adriel withdrew a lighter from his pocket while the ranger did the same. One! Adriel shouted, never taking his eyes off of the approaching threat. Two! The ranger followed shakily. Three! They said in tandem as the gauze burst into a blaze of flame. The creature screamed in torment, stumbling for several feet before falling to the ground. The flame consumed its fallen form instantly despite the moisture from the melted snow beneath its body. As the flame died away, I recognized something instantly. A charred half-pendant, one perfectly matching my own, lay upon its freshly stilled chest. I had gotten my answers, but out of all the possibilities, they weren't the ones I wanted. You've been listening to A Familiar Voice by N.M. Brown. Author, COO, and mother of our network, N.M. Brown is a proud Minnesota resident who uses inspiration to create dark tales everywhere she can. She has been featured in over 42 anthologies since 2019 and has her very own book release called The Origins of Delusion, which you can buy pretty much anywhere. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. 
coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And now, from author Richard C. Morgan, I give you The Downward Spiral. Welcome to Paranormal Pork. How can I help you? I said into the radio. The voice that spoke back to me through the drive through sounded distorted. Actually, it didn't even sound human. I just barely decoded what it was that he, she, it was trying to order. I glanced out the monitor where the security camera glitched in and out. I couldn't make out anything about the car besides the fact that it was big and ugly. The narrow, rectangle headlights were menacing in their own special way. Just get them their food, I told myself. Get them their food and send them on their way. I wasn't ready for what was waiting for me at the window. Bloody, skinless arms and hands sprouted from under and behind the driver's seat. They held down the driver, who sobbed and screamed, but the hands were covering her face and mouth, just barely allowing her to breathe. Are you wondering how I got here? Because I sure am. I mean, I could tell you the sequence of events that brought me to that moment. That doesn't make it easy to believe. Now, I see you looking at me like that, and I'll tell you right now. No, I didn't have a long, glorious career in fast food. Hell no. I used to be on top of the world. I had a desk on the next to top floor of a building that touched the clouds in Manhattan, alright? I wore a suit so slick that it shimmered like duck feathers. I had to follow a handful of rules from the big boss, the CEO, but the rest of the time, I made the rules. My way or the highway, and I sent plenty of people on the highway. Then I met Caroline. She swore it was love at first sight. It must have been hate at every sight after that, but I was too, I don't know, smitten to see what was happening. When your world is so high above everyone else's, you start to feel untouchable. Don't get me wrong, I loved her. I definitely loved her more than she loved me. The only thing she was consistent at was getting on my last nerve. Several times I wondered if her strategy was to drive me stark raving bonkers, and several times she came pretty close. But I must not have been going crazy fast enough for her liking, because she got tired of trying to break me, and instead made a move to replace me. I came home after an especially hard day, although my idea of a hard day then and a hard day now are totally opposites. My key wouldn't work in the lock. I tried several keys, even ones that I knew were wrong. So I knocked on the door. The lights were on. I could hear the TV a little bit. I shook my head and kept knocking. When I heard the lock being turned on the other side, I was ready to say something along the lines of, What the hell took you so long? Were you on the toilet or what? 
The words died when the door opened and I saw a large man frowning down at me. What are you doing in my house? was all I could think to say. I almost asked him if he was there to rob the place, despite the fact that he was dressed like he was getting ready for a long and cozy evening of never answering the door. My wife slid into the doorframe beside him and began caressing his chest. She was doing it the way that she used to do to me when we snuggled. Oh, hey, Alec, she said in a cold voice. Caroline, what? Who is this? This is Chadwick, and he lives here now. But this is my house. Not anymore, she said without expression. This is ridiculous. I'm calling the police. I yanked out my phone, and it somehow wasn't operating. What did you do to my phone? Whatever I did, I did it to get across the point that you don't live here, and there's nothing you can do about it. My heartbeat gradually increased in volume as the full weight of what I was hearing started to weigh on me. Did I ever think that I'd see divorce on the horizon? Sure, but this was worse than divorce. This was amputation. This was dumping a beloved pet on the side of the road without a pat on the head goodbye. Okay. Okay, I get it. Look, just let me get some of my things and I'll go. I've already thrown all of your things away. I threw a look at the unusual volume of trash bags on the curb. What? Seriously? Come on, let me say goodbye to the kids. They can't just wake up with daddy not being there. Actually, they can and they will. And I'm getting tired of standing here with the door open she said as she began stroking my replacement with more vigor. But we need... The door shut in my face. I managed to salvage most of my clothes from the mountain of garbage bags. At least I wouldn't be stuck wearing the same outfit over and over. I made a move to call one of my friends so I could sleep someplace more comfortable than my car. Oh, wait. That's right. My phone was wrecked. I wasn't just without service. The SIM card had been scrambled. I went by the bank to see if my debit card had been turned off. Of course, it had. The one saving grace I had was that I had put some money off to the side in an account that she didn't know about. It wasn't much. I would have allotted more if I had known that she was going to just stab me in the back like that. But... It would be enough to cushion my fall for a while. Driven by the same optimism that got me where I was in life to begin with, I spent the money on a pretty cushy hotel room. I started mentally mapping how I was going to salvage my life and stay in the kids' lives. If only I had known. I woke up with a good attitude, all things considered. I lingered over my coffee. So the deer was going to cut me out of her life like a cancer, huh? Well, I wasn't going to go into remission quietly. I wasn't without options. I still had my job. So, she might get most of the money in the divorce, but that was just it. She was avoiding divorce. I had time to organize the cards in my hand and play the game my way. Guess what, sugar? 
it's still my way or the highway. If she was so determined to undo me and erase me from her life, then she should have taken care to see to it that I didn't have any cash flow. I still had my position in the company. You know, second in command to God. I sat down in my plush leather office chair and felt the air escape from it. I felt like the captain of a ship getting ready to lead my forces to war. Little did I know that a torpedo had already been sent in my direction. The morning went well enough. I was on high alert, aware and vigilant, riding the adrenaline in my system. I was just about to get lunch when I gave in to the urge to check my email one last time. A few of my people had forwarded something to me, and each of the attached messages sounded concerned. So I opened it. It was a link to a YouTube video. The thumbnail was an image of my wife making a shocked face. The title, in large, attention-grabbing font, was... My high-profile husband is a child molester. It opened with my wife introducing herself through a face of anxiety. You probably don't know me, but you likely know my husband, Alec Dunn. Or at least you think you know him. He is one of the most powerful and influential businessmen in the state, and that's typical of the profile of men that have... She took a beat to wipe away a non-existent tear. Done what he has done. Look, this isn't easy for me, but I've finally seen the true face of my husband, and the world needs to know as well. My husband is a straight-up child molester. God only knows how many of his victims are out there, but there are two right here in my own home. That's right. He molested his own children. The camera turned to my two girls. They didn't look like children that had been molested. They looked like two girls that had been thrown into a world of crazy, and they had no idea how they got there. Bella, Macy, you're very brave for what you're about to do, and the world needs to hear it from you. It could mean saving many more little girls like you. Did Daddy molest you? Yes, they said in monotone stereo. Oh, it just breaks my heart, but you're so very, very brave. This is the worst thing a mother could ever hope to hear. Macy looked confused. You said we could have ice cream if we said yes. When do we get our ice cream? Later, Caroline snarled. Her face once again took up the camera. I know this is hard to believe for some of you, but innocent children don't lie. Let my husband know what you think of him and what he's done to our precious girls. Mommy, what does molest mean? Came a distant voice in the background. I should also make it clear that he works at the right hand of the CEO of Spherian Enterprises. Maybe you should give them a call and have them seriously reflect on the kind of people they have at the helm. I'll update you all as this ordeal progresses. Pray for us. The video concluded with a slideshow of several photos of me and the Spherian skyscraper, plus a low-res picture of my boss, Mr. Pinkle, no doubt cropped from a picture found in Google search. Did I mention that the slideshow was overlaid with very dramatic music? 
Well, it was. It was such a poorly done hit piece, I didn't think it would turn anyone's brains. I found out the hard way that you don't need to change minds to do damage. All you have to do is make someone smell bad. The next few days that followed, I got alerts from people who received the video from other people in the company. For real. The people that worked for me for years, that knew me better than some of my friends outside the workplace, were comfortable sharing this video, as if it actually had some merit. I tried to ignore it. I knew how the game was played. As soon as you step up to defend yourself, you look bad. Looking back, maybe I should have done some damage control or crisis communication or something. It wasn't even a week before Mr. Pinkle called me into his office. The look on his face said it all. He must have said, I really don't want to do this, and I know that you're not the kind of person your wife says you are, but... About a dozen times. You know what? I believed him. He wasn't letting me go because he believed my wife. He was letting me go because of the bad smell that could rub off on Spherian. I wanted to be mad at him, and I kind of was, but that's business for you. Those are the decisions that had to be made. That sounds pretty rational and level-headed, doesn't it? That all left me as soon as security came up to show me out. Then I was a screaming, babbling mess. The way those guards manhandled me felt too personal. What did I ever do to them over the years? They didn't bother calling the police. They wanted me all to themselves. They threw me out on my bruised ass and the doors of Spherian closed behind me for the last time. A bomb went off somewhere in my brain, and it hurt. It became clear that the bad smell would follow me for a long time. My lawyer said that I could absolutely sue my wife for defamation of character following an investigation that proved my innocence, but that would take exorbitant legal fees. Without my job, fronting the money that it would take to shower off the bad smell would be unsustainable. Oh, I tried. The bad part was that my wife's PR campaign moved faster than the justice system. My defenses were torn down before they were ever built. A few former co-workers let me crash on their couches for two or three days before the bad smell caught up with them and they would get threats against their jobs, properties, and or lives. I got a new SIM card for my phone, so each couch I landed on I spent every waking minute looking for work. My resume would blow the HR people away, but then the bad smell would drift downwind. Each glimmer of a prospect would dry up. The couches ran out. The very last couch was at my cousin's apartment, and he told me that I had until Friday, two days away, to do whatever I had to do. It was then that I met my old demon at the bottom of the well where I had cast it. Alcohol. Hadn't touched the stuff in years, and it took me years to walk away from it. Well, I reached into my dwindling funds and got a bottle of an expensive scotch. I hit it pretty hard before going out and applying at every single business I saw. The kinds of places that I would have never given a second glance. 
Convenience stores, radio stations, supermarkets, gas stations, fast food, resale shops. I was determined to go out in a glorious, booze-fueled last hurrah. I went back to that last couch, and I stayed there until the clock would stop ticking. The money I had to my name actually sank down into the triple digits. When I was conscious and a bottle was emptied, I got another one. My tolerance was definitely built back up. I couldn't put it away like I used to. I woke up with a pounding headache and my cousin looking at me and telling me, Okay, man, it's time to leave. He showed me his email inbox on his phone. You see this? I normally get about 15 to 20 messages a day, tops. I've got a whopping 350, and they're all from people who don't know me, but they automatically hate me because you're under my roof. I don't have anywhere else to go, I told him. He shook his head with crossed arms. I can give you some pointers on sleeping in your car comfortably. Once I was out, I spent the rest of the day looking for work until I simply couldn't do it anymore. Night fell, and it felt like it was there to stay. The darkness in the sky was a darkness I felt staring out from behind my eyes. It was a scary feeling for a man that never quits. For the first time in my life, I was going to spend the night in my car. It really wasn't as bad as I had thought it would be. It was what it portended that hurt the most. I had believed that if you tried hard enough, did your best, and did even more if your best wasn't good enough, that there would always be a way out. There would always be a solution. I had been pushed to the limits by challenges that came at me out of left field, and I pushed back with all... Hell, with more than I had. And it wasn't enough. I was completely spent, all used up halfway through. I tried to fathom the dark days ahead of smelling bad, being cold, overheated, hungry, and being fair game to drunk teenagers with baseball bats. The only point left in existing would be to make my wife's life miserable, throw wrenches in the divorce, drag it out as long as possible, delay and derail her every move with custody, payments, retrials, the works. If she wanted everything I had built with my own blood, sweat, and tears before she came into the picture, she was going to have to suffer for it, bleed for it. But was that really what I wanted to do? Living for the misery of others just wasn't my thing but my wife's misery was all I had left to live for, which could only mean that I didn't really have anything left to live for. Either live for complicating her life or just don't live. That sounded better. Just don't live. I didn't have a problem with dying, and it kind of surprised me. Yeah, I could cash out as long as I found a comfortable way to do it. In the year 2022, surely someone had finally found a way to exit stage right without too much pain. Then again, the people who have succeeded in offing themselves never exactly got a chance to leave a rating and a review on their experience. 
I started reviewing everything I ever heard about unaliving yourself. I made the mistake of taking the matter to Google. All I got was a laundry list of crisis lines to call. What were they going to do? Get my house back? I think we all know that the woman always gets the house. I had that house built from the ground up. I designed it myself. It was my monument to my success and all my hard work. And along came this woman with a spray can tucked under her trainers. I gawked through the windshield up into the black sky as if I could see all the skyscrapers that I knew were surrounding me. It wouldn't be too hard to get up on top of one of them some bitches, would it? I could tell one of the security guards that I'm just going to take some aerial photographs. I stared at my phone, wondering how much longer I had service. The screen half-dimmed from no activity, and I could see my face reflected. It looked like I had aged a lifetime in just a few days. I was going to feel sorry for myself when the screen went off completely, but that didn't happen. Instead, my ringtone blared at max volume, nearly making me mess myself. I was not expecting a phone call from anyone so late. Hello? Hey, Alec? Is this Alec? It sounded too casual to be important, and I came so close to just hanging up. Not completely sure why I didn't. Yeah, this is Alec. Hey, oh, thank God I got a hold of you. Listen, are you still looking for a job? I had to bypass my filters that would normally have me asking all kinds of questions. I had to remember that I was desperate. Yeah, I am, wholeheartedly. Oh, super, super. Um, would you want to start tonight? <laughs> Excuse me, so sorry. My name is Harold Bolin. I manage a charming little establishment that's part snack bar and part radio station. We're the only place of our kind in the city, if I do say so myself. But we can talk about that more. Would you like to start right now? Sure, just tell me where it is. Wonderful. Come to 1646 East Division and I'll get you set right up. I was surprised to find myself feeling good about the whole thing. And I wanted to keep feeling good about it. But the closer I got to the destination, the more the neighborhood gave me doubts. First of all, the place was big, a good four or five stories tall. Every floor was dark except the bottom one. There was a worm-eaten wooden sign that was all but reduced to splinters. There was just enough paint remaining that I could see it said, Crystal Rivers Resale Shop and Psychic Medium. Right next to it was a newer but crudely done sign that depicted a smiling pig being sucked up by a flying saucer. It said, Paranormal Pork Broadcasting and Wiener Lounge. And next to that was an even newer and smaller sign with red letters on a white background. drive through now open. I looked up at the place and wondered just what the hell I got myself into but I didn't have the bandwidth to overthink it. I just needed a job. No sooner had my knuckles struck the heavy front door once than it flew open and there was a large man with flaming red hair and a gut big enough to have its own birth certificate. Alec Dunn! He cried out with joy. Harold Bolin! I reacted. Come in, come in! 
Say, what size do you wear, Alec? Right this way. I was more tired than I thought. This gigantic pear-shaped man, his nasal voice, his O-shaped wide blue eyes, the nature of the building, it all reached me in snapshots and broken waves. There were missing ceiling tiles. Pipes and wires hung freely from these openings. Broken ceiling tiles were on the floor here and there, like someone had shoved them aside with their foot and a silent promise to take care of them later. The tiles that bravely stayed in place were warped and had stains as though they were attacked by gravity-defying coffee. Post-it notes were everywhere like peeling paint. The lights took turns flickering and humming like cicadas. Sour and corny lounge music drifted from somewhere. Harold led me to a room repurposed as an office. He pulled out my application, one that I had barely remembered turning in. Actually, I didn't remember setting foot in the place. I didn't remember the cheesy pig logo on the application or anything. Paranormal pork? You don't forget a name like that. First, the formalities. Thank you, thank you, thank you for applying at Paranormal Pork. Are you sure you want to work here? Uh, great, you're hired. Welcome aboard. I'm putting you on the night crew, where you'll work with the most interesting people and make the most money. Let me show you around. He let off a series of chirping farts with each step, and they managed to sound as jolly as he looked. I was surprised at how hard it was to keep up with him. I tried not to walk directly behind him. So, Paranormal Pork is first and foremost a radio station. We proudly carry all the shows that nobody else does. Only our transmitter will give you the best programs on UFOs and unexplained phenomena. Harold was invoking mystery by waving his hands and wiggling his fingers. He led me to the source of the bad lounge music. There was a cash register that looked like it was obsolete decades ago. Behind it was a teenage girl with the eyes of someone twice her age. They sat deep above cheekbones that were just a little too sharp. This is Sadie. Sadie, meet Alec. Sadie is a wonderful young woman that waits on our customers during daytime hours. She's an expecting mother, and we can't wait to meet the new addition to the Paranormal Pork family. She either didn't hear him, or she didn't have the energy to react. Say hi, Sadie. She snapped too just long enough to give me a brisk wave, and she was already back to staring into space by the time I could wave back. So I've got one uniform for you right now, and I'll mail you the others as soon as I can have them printed. That won't work, man. He looked shocked. What? Why not? My wife kicked me out of my own house with no chance of getting back inside. I'm living out of my car. I could see the weight of my words hit Harold. Oh, oh my, I'm sorry to hear that. Listen, I know we just met and everything, but I couldn't help but notice that this is a big place, and you don't seem to use every single room. Is there any chance you could help a man find a place to sleep that isn't out in the rain and the cold? Gears started turning in his eyes, and I didn't like the way they looked. Frankly, it was damn upsetting. Perhaps I didn't make it clear that I was willing to put up with whatever, just as long as I could stay warm and dry until I got back on my feet. 
I think I can help you, but you'll need to follow my directions to the letter, he said with a graveness so sudden that I was knocked back. I'm desperate, man. He nodded. You remind me of myself when I was young. Look at me. I haven't had great luck with women either, but it hasn't stopped me from living my dream. Oh, you don't want a speech. Follow me. He opened a random cabinet drawer and grabbed a flashlight big enough to be a radio. Actually, it was a radio, and there were other hazardish features to the monstrous thing. He also picked up an antique brass lantern with a fat candle inside. He tested out a lighter before continuing. With all the floors to choose from up above, you can imagine my confusion when he took me down a set of cramped stairs. I need to tell you that this place is very, um, active. Active? That's why I wasn't so quick to tell you that you could sleep here. I'm not a stingy man. I'm just worried about your safety. I'm not really following you. I'd just spit it out if the walls didn't have ears. There's only so much I can tell you before I'm in trouble of my own. I'm sorry. All I can tell you right now is that this building is very old. Lots of things have happened here. Um, bad things. And so bad things continue to happen to the people that don't follow the rules. You'll learn a lot even if you do follow the rules, but you'll find out too much if you don't. I could tell he saw my confusion mixed with my fatigue. Okay, okay, start small. Harold fired up the flashlight. The stairs ended in a basement with a dreadfully low ceiling. I'd bang my head if I stood up straight. The concrete floor was covered in a layer of grime and grit, and it had drains at regular intervals. He led me to a corner with a mattress that had seen many bodies and better days. An ancient blanket was stretched across it. The thing had enough holes to negate its purpose and function as a blanket altogether. At the edge of the cone of light, I saw another mattress that wasn't pretty, but it looked better than the one I was being offered. Hey, could I sleep in that one instead? I would be happy to let you, if it didn't belong to Toby. Toby? What, you got somebody else down on their luck like me? Toby's a good boy, he's just... Toby, and I'm sure he'd rather not share what's his. Well, he's not here. Do you really think he'd care all that much? The flashlight began to flicker. I could see the fear in Harold's eyes right before it went out for good. He fought back against the sudden darkness with the lighter. The terror in his eyes was magnified by the amber light of the lantern as the candle came to life. Quickly, follow me! I was ushered into a space so small that the two of us scarcely fit. Maybe a coal bin or something. Harold shut the door and put a lintel in place behind rusting brackets. What just happened? I asked. Harold immediately shushed me. Don't say a word, he hissed. The basement wasn't a place of noise to begin with, but the stillness managed to grow more still a textbook case of deafening silence. Then, there was the shuffling, slow, dragging steps of feet that couldn't quite leave the floor. Then, 
there was ragged breathing, like someone breathing through their mouth with snorting, snoring rasps in the back of the throat. The steps dragged themselves up to the door of the coal bin and stopped for a few seconds. Something hit the door and Harold jumped. I was grasping for words, but Harold waved them away, one finger to his lips. From the other side of the door came one word in a low voice. Harold? Yes, it's Harold, Toby. It's Harold. A long pause. Harold, bring friend? A friend, Toby, yes. New friend? New worker? Both, Toby. This is Alec. He's going to be working the night shift and he needs a place to stay for a while. He'll be living with us for a bit. New friend has own bed. I gave him his own bed, Toby. He won't be sleeping in yours. New friend, the voice said with jubilance. I nearly pissed myself as the flashlight blinked back to life. New friend, new worker, said the voice again, now some distance away. Harold let go of the breath he had been holding. He shot me a dire look. Never, and I mean never, sleep in Toby's spot. Come on, let's get out of here. Oh, wait, the bathroom's right over there. The light fell on a bathroom no bigger than a closet with a broken but mostly intact mirror. Back upstairs, we sat for a break in the office. There was no conversation for several minutes. Harold spent the silence catching his breath and mopping his forehead with a dirty handkerchief. I ventured to fill the awkward silence. So, uh, what was that down there? I shouldn't tell you. Toby doesn't like it when I talk about him to others. Will I be safe sleeping down there? Follow the rules and stay out of Toby's bed and you'll be the safest you could be anywhere else. Mostly. Harold snapped his fingers. The rules. I need to get you your own copy of the rules. He barreled around a dark corner, after which came the raucous sounds of a dated printer. He sailed past the desk to drop the papers off with me and continue on his way to the snack bar. Look these over while I send Sadie home, okay? Then we'll get you set up for your first shift. The closest chair had the stuffing bleeding out of the plastic housing. I sat down carefully as if I might get poked by something. It wasn't a short list. I could tell that if I was going to follow them, I'd have to keep the paper on me at all times. Paranormal Pork Night Shift Rules Rule number one. Customer service is your first priority. Always treat our customers with the utmost respect, no matter who they are or how they look or sound. Never call law enforcement on a customer, regardless of how alarming they or their actions may be. Never call out on the station landline, for that matter. Rule number two. Have hot dogs on the rollers at all times. Do everything you can to fill customer orders accurately and according to their requests. Night shift is from 8 p.m. to 8 a.m., and the lounge is closed to visitors at this time, but the drive-thru is open for the entire shift. Rule number three. This is specific to the night shift. 
Do not allow anyone inside the station, no matter how desperate they make themselves out to be. Rule number four. If the lights flicker more than three times in 10 seconds, take shelter in the office closet immediately. Rule number five. You will be responsible for bringing in freight. It's typically dropped off outside the back door for you to collect. If the boxes do not have the paranormal pork stamp, do not bring the packages inside. If the packages have the paranormal pork stamp, then bring them inside to the appropriate storage locations. Approved vendors will not wait for you to open the door for them. See rule number three. Rather, they will leave the freight in front of the back door. Anyone claiming to be a vendor with a delivery is not to be allowed inside, nor is their shipment to be examined. Rule number six. You can safely step outside for garbage, smoke break, whatever, during the first 10 minutes of every hour and the last 10 minutes of every hour. Anything outside of that is taking matters into your own hands. Rule number seven. Respect Toby's wishes, personal space, and property at all times. Be cautious even when he is friendly toward you. His feelings are easily hurt. Rule number eight. Three cassette tapes of music are provided. From the start of your shift, there is to be no more than three minutes of dead silence over the sound system. Play each tape in sequence, switching sides when each side concludes. When both sides of a tape are finished playing, switch to the next tape. Rule number nine. In the event of a loss of power, the red emergency lights will come on. Do not go through any closed doors, not even the restroom, until power is restored. Rule number 10. Use the portable radio to make sure that the transmission is live. If there is no discernible signal, check on the DJ to make sure they're conscious, present, and following the rules specific to their station. If they are not conscious and present, there is a chance that they have broken the rules and you will need to step in and keep the program going. When in doubt, insert cassette 8322B and play continuously, taking care to flip each side when finished. Rule number 11. When opening doors, make sure you rotate the door handle clockwise. Disaster isn't necessarily guaranteed if you rotate the handle counterclockwise, but the risk isn't worth it. Rule number 12. Do not go exploring around the vacant portions of the building. If it becomes necessary to enter any of the derelict rooms, you will need to have a reliable light source and the envelope in cabinet 3C on your person. This increases your safety, but does not guarantee it. Rule number 13. Never, ever, ever open the envelope in cabinet 3C. The rules were so frickin' whackballs, my brain's reaction was... Cassettes? Really? Who uses cassettes? Ready to get started? Harold said, yanking me from my thoughts. Huh? Oh, yeah, sure. Good to go. Great! He invaded my personal space with a uniform that looked more than gently used. I changed inside the dark, claustrophobic bathroom using my phone as a light. I bruised every joint against the encroaching walls. Then I banged my head. Ow! 
The corner of my eye caught my wife tossing her head back and laughing. I turned to look and saw my own bewildered face in the web-cracked mirror. I looked like I'd seen a ghost. No, something worse than a ghost. I was sure I had seen her. Her gaudy dyed hair, her whorish lipstick. But it was just me. It felt like some kind of warning. I tried to write it off as hitting my head too hard. Harold was waiting for me, dancing like an excited chicken. His capering halted when he got a look at me. He almost asked, but then decided not to. Okay, buddy, time to show you the ropes. This is the hot dog roller. The power switch is here. The temp controls are busted, so don't worry about that. Hot dogs are over here. There was a refrigerator in a corner of the lounge that was probably new around the time Kennedy was president. It had that fallout look to it. It rattled and danced like a team of squirrels were slam dancing in it. But upon opening it, the greasy shelves were squirrel-free and were bowing under the weight of stacks of hot dogs, sausages, and similarly shaped meats. There were buns in a repurposed dresser along with condiments that were probably supposed to be kept cool. Probably. The drive through was an old boombox radio that was a web of spliced wires. One of the large speakers had been reversed into a microphone. You'll hear their order through this one, and you'll talk into this one, Harold beamed, clearly indicating he had been the engineer. A small black and white television sat on a metal shelf, displaying a view of the outside drive through The camera was so janky that the feed looked like what you'd see through a set of discount night vision goggles. A dirty bar stool supported the oversized cassette player that would play the night's music. Rewind them at the end of your shift and you won't have anything to worry about the next shift, he said. I was struggling to wrap my head around all these little procedures that I never dreamed I'd ever be responsible for. I wiped my forehead as my brain pulsed and my ego felt a draft blow through all its freshly punched holes. I thought of my business suits that were packed up in my car. I felt like I'd never be able to wear them again, not without getting grease and mustard on them. Harold was stamping his feet and clapping his hands with hunched shoulders. All right, it's time. Here's the set of keys. I'm locking the door behind me. I'll talk to you in the morning. Uh, I began, but the fat man sailed out the door, and I was on my own. One of those creepy cat clocks, the ones with the moving tail and eyes, chimed eight o'clock. No time to wallow in my feelings. I never dreamed how disgusting hot dogs were before they were cooked. I'm sorry, but I just never dealt with that side of food. They were like little socks stuffed with slime, and I retched when each one sizzled on the rollers. I hoped to God that there were some gloves or something I could put on before handling the crusty bottles of ketchup and mustard. Nope. I may as well have been sitting in the bottom of a porta potty like it was a hot tub. A horrible buzz announced movement in the drive-thru, and there was a great glowing rectangle of light on the monitor. I talked into one of the speakers on the boombox and read the yellowing script taped to the wall. Uh, welcome to Paranormal Pork. How can I take your order? What? The speaker blew up in my face. Damn it. 
I spoke into the other speaker. I said, welcome to Paranormal Pork, and how can I take your order? First of all, you can ditch the attitude. Then you can get me two Area 50 yums with the works and extra mustard. Harold, you fat prick. You didn't tell me all the code talk I'm supposed to know. So, is that a hot dog or what? I shot back. What the hell is up with you? Did you just get divorced or what? My mouth hung open. Everything you need to know is hanging on the side of the rollers, Sherlock. I can see them from here. My shock and rage gave way to confusion as I looked at the drive through window for any signs of an observer. Then, I saw what was on the monitor. The entire screen was taken up by an eye. It was manically wide. It was the eye of a mad scientist or a woman that had just walked in on her husband in bed with someone else. I glanced over at the rollers and there were handwritten directions on each special name for the food along with the prices. My hands shook so much that I barely filled the order without any disasters. I panicked when I realized that Harold didn't show me how to run a register. Turned out that there wasn't a cash register for the drive through just a drawer with assorted bills and coins and a calculator. A rumbling motor crept up on the window. I didn't look until I absolutely had to. Okay, that'll be... The car was empty. The window was down and I could see inside. The sound of a voice knocked me back. 837, I know. It's the same each time. Here's exact change. I'll make it easy on you on your first night. Money flew through the window and rang against the floor, while the hot dogs were tractored away into the darkness by some unseen force. The car roared off. I don't know how long I stood there, staring. You're supposed to close the window between orders! The radio crackled, and the drive through window slammed shut. That first customer service experience did something to me. There were more orders that night, but I was on autopilot. Everything was happening in the front of my brain, you know, where it was shallow, where I didn't have to think about anything. I didn't dare do any extra thinking. No. Just no. The trembling of my hands wormed into my ribs, creating shallow, shuddered breathing. The sudden presence of Harold put me back in my head. Hey, buddy, how'd it go for your first night? My first night? Was it really morning? The cat clock clearly displayed that it was 8.10 a.m. I raised my hands to gesticulate, but the sight of them cut off my words. They were covered in grease and grime and ungodly layers of condiments. Harold's eyes danced all over me his grin staying in place. I see you didn't exactly get in on the shallow end. I'll let you use the shower at the end of the hall here. Go get some rest. You deserve it. I moved like a sleepwalker to the shower and then to bed. Sleep was dreamless. I woke up at brief intervals, hearing someone else shuffling around in the dark, muttering, New worker, new friend. New worker, new friend. 
I kept falling back to sleep before I could react. Whatever my wife had done to my heart, that's what my new job did to my sanity. And it wasn't going to get any better. Actually, things were about to get much worse. Waking up was my first lesson in the fact that you can get a hangover from more than just alcohol. I had managed to sleep until 35 minutes before my next shift. My body shivered from hunger and adrenaline withdrawal, but my stomach cringed at the thought of food. I used the light of my phone to illuminate my sleep spot. I became aware of heavy breathing. The light fell on the other mattress, where there was a huge indentation half covered by the blanket, which rose and fell. I'm not drunk enough for this, I grumbled. I reached for my uniform and winced. It was sour with sweat and aging ketchup, mustard, and other things. I had slept so long that I couldn't do laundry. I was used to having a maid ensuring that I always had a fresh set of clothes when I needed them. I reluctantly put the rank things back on. Harold was waiting for me at the top of the stairs with a cup of coffee in each hand. He offered me one of them. One of our regulars got in touch with me and told me that he sized you up last night. Regulars? That snarky, invisible nightmare was a regular? I don't agree with how he did you, but please, quality customer service is key. We don't want to upset any of our clientele. Losing their business would only be half the problem. I think you understand what I mean. I gave him a slow nod. Harold looked at the cat clock and clapped his hands and shimmied. Night two is it coming for you. Woohoo! I'm not okay, Harold. Nonsense. You did fine last night and you'll do fine tonight, too. No, I mean it. I'm not okay. But he was gone, and the door locked behind him, again. The cat clock chimed, and all systems were go. My gag reflex was absent when I put fresh dogs on the rollers. Either I was already desensitized, or too much of my mind had been blasted out of my skull. I was relieved, but also concerned that I'd been lobotomized through shock. I had a brief vision of myself in a state of being perpetually smelly and greasy, no matter how much I showered. Constantly unshaven, yellow armpit stains, breathing through my mouth, getting a dollar raise after twenty years, shaped like a wood stove. The radio meant for monitoring the broadcast blared a program about body-invading parasites that wrapped around the brainstem and whispered commands into the heads of their victims, making the case that there's no such thing as schizophrenia. My first few customers were normal enough. I could tell there was something off about them. They didn't look out of their eyes quite right, or they made eye contact too long, or they took too long to respond to something as simple as have a nice night. This was followed by about four seconds of unblinking, open-mouthed staring before finally saying, Thanks, you too. One car was too dark to tell, but I think the driver was covered in thorns. Another woman had what looked like tar pouring in a steady stream out of her mouth. 
she never choked or gagged once. With each new dimension of weirdness, I would wince at first, and then there was nothing. I tried to mentally poke at the part of me that was tripped out the last shift, but it couldn't be bothered. So, I kinda relaxed a little. Big mistake. That's when I got the customer I mentioned at the beginning of our conversation. All the grisly arms holding down the woman in the driver's seat, basically smothering her. An evil voice thanked me for my service, and the car sped off, the suffocating woman trying to scream all the more. I thought any and all sensitivity had been deuced out of me. I was wrong. That experience troubled me on a whole new level. I remembered the license plate and my heightened state, so I decided to call 911 to at least make sure the lady was going to be okay. I remembered the rule about the landline, so I tried my phone. At any other time, I would have had full service, but no, my phone was dead. I eyed the phone hanging on the wall at an odd angle. Rules were made to be broken. 911, what's your emergency? Hello, I do the night shift at Paranormal Pork on uh, Division Street. And I just had a really disturbing encounter with a customer. I think a woman's life is in danger. The pause that followed was so long that I thought the call had dropped. Hello? Are you still there? You can see him, can't you? The voice said in a drastic change of tone. It was practically slithering out of the receiver. What? See who? You know, him, right on top of her, on top of your wife. The voice burst out in laughter. There are no words for the chills that tumbled down my spine. I dropped the receiver and it hung like a bungee jumper. But then it came back up into the air, facing me, like it could see me. It began to rock back and forth as the voice sang. On top, on top, on top of your wife, on top. The hot dog grill burst into flames. She and him are going to live it up at the top, while you plummet to the bottom in an endless downward spiral. My annoyance had overridden my fear just long enough for me to grab the receiver and slam it into place. Then I took care of the fire with a few cups of water. The hot dogs were a little dark in places, but they were perfectly salvageable as far as leftover meat products were concerned. I turned up the quality control radio. My hands were shaking so badly that I almost dropped it. The drive through crackled to life, but I couldn't bring myself to answer right away. I pushed my fingers into my eyes as far as they would go. I took a deep breath and resumed my job. Welcome to Paranormal Pork. How can I help you? On top, on top, on top of your wife. My head snapped to the camera feed. There was the evil, blocky shape of the sedan from before. 
Countless misshapen arms protruded from every window, and they waved at me before the car peeled out. Did I pass out? I don't think so. I know that the drive-thru dinged a few more times, but I couldn't tell you who they were or what they asked for. Somebody with my body and my face was waiting on them, but I wasn't in there. The lights were out. I was out to lunch. I became distantly aware of the sound of Harold's voice. Hello? Anybody home? He was saying. I looked over at him to see two Heralds circling each other until they blended into one. Hey, hey, bud. How was night number two for you? Number... number two. Yeah, lots of number two. I smell brimstone mixed with burning grease in here, bud. That can only mean one thing. You made a phone call you weren't supposed to. I did something I don't think I ever did in my adult life. I broke down sobbing. I'm sorry, I mewled. Psh, you don't need to apologize to me. You need to apologize to yourself. You break a rule and you lower all kinds of barriers that protect you from the colorful individuals we do business with. Harold put both of his freckled paws on my shoulders and looked me in the eye. A warmth came through his otherwise goofy features. We're fragile things, man. The customer is always right, but the customer isn't always your friend. Especially these customers. You're already in a bad place, and some of our customers can smell it. Give them their food, but not your sanity or your soul, okay? That's what the rules are for. He gave me a congenial shake, but my head just lolled. I ate half of an Area 50 yum and collapsed in my bed to the sound of Toby snoring. New friend, he said briefly. And that was all. Toby's voice woke me with the same phrase. New friend? I checked my phone. Good God, I did it again. I slept the sleep of the dead and work started in about 20 minutes. I was iffy about answering Toby. I thought about what Harold had said. But the man, the thing, whatever he was, was persistent. New friend? Yeah, Toby, new friend. New friend, sad. A dry chuckle got away from me. <laughs> well, Toby, new friend's wife doesn't love him anymore. New friend's wife found someone else. New friend's wife has taken everything. The air grew very still, and it was uncomfortable. I took it as my cue to get ready for work. Harold was already capering and clapping his hands. He either loved seeing me suffer or he was delighted that I hadn't quit. I wasn't going to ask which. You're doing a great job. Keep those doggies rolling, he said before slamming and locking the door. I just sighed and loaded the first cassette tape and flicked on the radio and busted out the night's first round of food. I stared at the rollers as their cargo sizzled. 
A downward spiral, I thought. I had found a job. I had found a place to sleep. But I couldn't shake the encroaching truth that I was moving down faster than I was moving up. A loud pop distracted me. It was that Sadie girl. She was blowing bubblegum and reading something on her phone. Jesus, I didn't know anyone else was still here. Picking up some extra hours, she said bluntly. Doing what, I thought to myself. Don't tell Harold, she said as if reading my mind. I just shook my head and walked away. Not my circus, not my monkeys. That night's customers were tame enough. Some of them clearly weren't human, but at least they were more interested in eating than in making my life miserable. There was a girl with eyes blinking in her hair that called me by my first name and told me she hoped things got better for me. That helped. Actually, that helped a lot. It got me to drop my guard. Again. She drove off and I watched the taillights disappear in the distance. A warm bubble rose in my heart and I smiled. The drive through dinged again shortly after. Welcome to Paranormal Pork. How can I take your order? I'd like your balls and your brainless head on a platter, you worthless bastard! The warm bubble turned to lead and sank. Caroline? That's right, you sorry son of a bitch! You thought you had trouble on your hands before? You're getting a whole dump truck more! How did you even find... You took my ballerina music box when you left... I knew you were low and stupid, but this just takes the cake. Caroline, I barely had time to pack my own things, let alone bother with any of your stupid trash. You didn't even let me in the house. There's absolutely no way. I guess we're going to find out. I'm busting into your car and having a look. No, 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 don't. I panicked. I darted for the front door. Locked. Harold locked it behind him. Talk about a scrambling fool. I fumbled the spare set of keys into the lock and I dashed outside to find... nothing. My car was intact. There was no Caroline. What was... The front door to the station slammed shut behind me. That's when it hit me. I had broken another rule. A scream echoed from somewhere inside. Oh no, Sadie... The door wouldn't budge. I looked around frantically for the keys. Luck was on my side for once. There they lay on the ground. The ancient lock fought me for a moment, and it was a moment too long. When I got to Sadie, she sat in a slump against a wall. Her lips had been torn off, along with her eyelids. Her neck was twisted and she gazed at me from an upside-down head on a forward-facing body. Her unborn baby hung from a ceiling fan by the umbilical cord, like a silent pendulum. The drive through window was wide open, and an awful laugh echoed in the distance. Well, I can't condone unauthorized overtime... Harold mused as some shady-looking kids in hoodies scrubbed up what was left of Sadie and her child. 
I wanted to be appalled and shocked and disgusted and all that. I really did, you know. There wasn't anything left. Like dry heaving after an all-night bender, there wasn't anything left. I was empty. Spent. Know any kids looking to pick up some part-time hours? Uh, ignore that question. You've had a bad night. This can wait. I couldn't move. I stared at the illicit sanitation workers that never showed their faces. Harold seemed annoyed that I wasn't moving out. When I finally did, I slept the blackest sleep in history. That was the closest to being dead I ever got. I almost didn't wake up in time for work. My alarm and Toby's prompts of, New friend? New friend? Just barely moved me. I couldn't recognize the face that stared back at me from the fractured bathroom mirror. I couldn't picture that face in a suit with slicked back hair and the authority of a god. I couldn't picture that face with a personality or a life or anything. It was just a face with nothing behind it. Harold carried on like there hadn't just been a grisly death in his radio station. Maybe he was gone too, like I was. Just in different ways and to a different degree. He locked the front door. Cassette in. Radio on. Dogs sizzling. Quite a few of the things that came through the drive-thru tried to engage me in conversation. Hey man, you don't look so good. Alec, brother, what's going on? Why the long face? Mr. Dunn, how are you? If they had heaped all that attention on me just a few nights ago, I might have soaked it up. After everything I'd been through, they seemed like circling sharks. They smelled the blood and they were closing in, waiting for an opening. They weren't reaching me, try as they may. Most of my shift flew by without incident. I was down to my last hour. The drive through pinged. Welcome to Paranormal Pork. How can I help you? Where's my money, Alec? What? The money I had stashed under the mattress. Where is it? Caroline? No. No, you're not Caroline. Oh, I'm not, am I? And you're not Alec Dunn? The thieving, child-molesting snake I've been struggling to get out of my life? I don't know what you are, but it's not going to work. Order your food or leave. One of the windows by the front door shattered and a cinder block came to rest on the floor. Caroline, or something that looked like her, clambered in through the ruined window dressed head to toe in leather, her snub-nosed 38 special in one hand. Okay, maybe it was Caroline, which meant that the rules weren't going to do me any good. No, I wasn't worried about survival. It was strictly an ego thing. The universe could kill me. All the dark things hiding in forbidden corners of the earth could kill me. Caroline? Hell no. I'd walk on coals before I let her get the best of me. I want that $6,500! She shrieked. You never let me in the house, you dumb bitch! 
I shot back as I raced for the door to the basement. No, she would have me cornered down there. Maybe Toby would help. If he was bothered, he might kill both of us. But then I thought about the rules, turning the doorknobs clockwise. I solidly turned the doorknob counterclockwise and threw the door open. I know I keep saying that each shock left me more blasted than the last one, and somehow it happened one last time. It wasn't bloody. There were no hideous monsters, at least that I could see. Behind the door, the cramped staircase had been replaced by a dim and vast grocery store. It was like the front entrance, okay? There were aisles and aisles and aisles beyond. They faded into a gray haze. Al Boley's heartaches echoed endlessly on the sound system. Come and get it! Come gun me down for money I don't have! Splinters flew as a bullet missed me and found the doorframe. I went in. There were no walls, no ceiling. If there were, they were unreachably distant. Every conceivable aisle, magazines, produce, canned goods, stretched into the infinite. I took a turn so that Caroline wouldn't have my back. I was running down an aisle of toys. I noticed that the same six feet of products repeated as I ran past. Caroline was bearing down on me, so I made as many turns as I could manage. Each aisle repeated the same six feet over and over, like holding up a mirror to a mirror. I careened into a hardware aisle. I took a ball-peen hammer and turned around and threw it. My timing was perfect. Caroline stepped right into the hammer's trajectory, right between the eyes. I had another hammer from the infinite supply surrounding me. She fired blindly, punching holes in shelves and the floor. A ringing drowned my ears as the business end of the hammer struck her face repeatedly. Whitened teeth that I had paid too much for scattered this way and that. Cries peeled from her swollen, bleeding gums. Blood arced skyward and fell like rain. I didn't hear her skull crack, but I felt it. She tried crawling away unsteadily. One more strike from the hammer, and she wasn't going to move ever again. I could almost hear my laughing from behind the ringing. I looked around. I wasn't going to starve to death. I might go crazy from eating off the same narrow menu for forever, but hey, I was already nuts. Maybe Harold would find me. Maybe I'd find Harold. No hurry. I had time to live it up for a while. I examined the Snubnose 38. There was only one round left. I laughed so hard that my ribs hurt. If this place had a liquor aisle, I might make room for some good old Russian roulette.
You've been listening to The Downward Spiral by Richard C. Morgan. Richard lives in the Midwest, Riverton, Illinois, very much small town USA. What better place for writing horror? His crew consists of three cats, two kids, and his wife. He was a cake decorator before he took up writing full time. Don't worry, none of those cakes were poisoned. He produces his own horror storytelling podcast, Marsh Lights, which can be heard on Spotify and most of the places you get your podcasts. You can keep up with him and his antics at richardmorganwrites.com. Well, my friends, that closes out our evening. Believe it or not, after that last story, I'm craving a hot dog. I think I'll go indulge my self-destructive impulses. I hope that the rest of you have a pleasant evening, free of strange entities shuffling around your room as you sleep. As always, I'll be back next week with more chilling tales to send a shiver down your spine. Until then, listeners, stay spooky. If you enjoyed what you've heard on today's program, please take a moment to stop by our iTunes page or wherever else you listen to your favorite podcasts and leave us a five-star review and a kind word. It makes a huge difference and would mean a lot to me. If you'd like to hear a premium, ad-free edition of tonight's and all of our other episodes, visit ChillingTalesForDarkNights.com and click the Patrons link in the menu at the top of the screen, where you can become a patron for as little as $5 per month and get access to our entire audio archive dating back to 2012, including past episodes of this program, all of our other shows, and hundreds of standalone releases, all of them ad-free and available to download or stream. Thanks so much for your time and for giving our sponsors a try today. When you support our sponsors, you help support this show, and that means a lot to me. If you happen to use Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or YouTube, you can follow and subscribe to Chilling Tales for Dark Nights there, where you'll get all of our latest updates and new releases, and have the chance to interact with us each and every week. As for me personally, you can find me on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube, username Viking Guitar, and also on Instagram as Viking Guitar Productions. In particular, if you're looking for someone to provide voice work for your own project, or are in need of audio production of any sort, it would be wonderful to chat. Until next week, listener, when we meet up once again atop the horror hill for yet another dance with darkness, I bid you good night. Sleep tight, listener, and if you hear scratching at your door, don't open it. The darkness may have found you, but it's up to you to let it in. You've been listening to the Horror Hill Podcast. 
a production of Chilling Entertainment and the creative team at Chilling Tales for Dark Nights, and a proud member of the Simply Scary Podcast Network. Visit simplyscarypodcast.com today to learn more about our network and our other amazing storytelling programs. Tonight's episode was hosted by, and its featured tale performed by, yours truly, Eric Peabody. Selected stories have been adapted with the kind permission of their respective authors. Original music provided by Nikki McSorley and Eric Peabody. Finalization by Craig Groshek and S.K. Brown. Got a terrifying tale of your own that you'd like performed? I take submissions. Email it to us today at submissions at simplyscarypodcast.com to have your work considered for future production. If you enjoyed what you heard on tonight's program and are joining us on your favorite podcast app, please subscribe to us to make sure you never miss an episode and leave us a five-star review and a kind word. Your feedback means a lot to me. You can also follow Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and yours truly on social media to connect anytime and get the latest updates on this and our other programs. If you're listening on the Chilling Tales for Dark Nights YouTube channel, do us a favor and hit the subscribe button and the bell notification icon as well to get more spooky tales from me and the crew and another episode of this program each and every week. And don't forget to hit the thumbs up button to let us know how we're doing and leave us a kind comment. Lastly, don't forget to visit us at ChillingTalesForDarkNights.com and consider supporting the team by becoming a patron. In addition to helping us out, you'll get exclusive access to our audio archives and ad-free downloads of all of your favorite stories, including those you've heard on this program. As for me, you can hear more of my work on the Chilling Tales for Dark Nights podcast. However, I will be back next week with more terrifying tales to keep you up all night. If darkness is what you're after, listener, your search is over. Yet, let it be known, you haven't found the darkness. The darkness has found you. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.